Yo, welcome to Voice Acting Up, a podcast where I interview working voice actors who are working their way up. I'm Sean Rohani, and I'm taking this opportunity to thank you and also selfishly ask that you rate and review this podcast wherever you're listening to it. It only takes a few seconds and would help others find and enjoy it through algorithmic sorcery, I'm told. Speaking of sorcery, today is part two with Zeke. That segue makes sense because he's voiced all types of Blizzard characters. But we also talk Call of Duty, some epic promo stories, and dive deep into some of the voiceover challenges that SAG-AFTRA faces, and some possible solutions. I think it's super important information, especially if you're a union actor, but also if you're not. And look, as you know from part one, any conversation with Zeke will be an entertaining one. had a plan a course of action to to go with atlas and you you would look at all their demos and see what you can offer that they don't have on the list of demos they have do you remember that sort of set of qualities that you had that you you pitched yeah um so i was like look and i don't know the uh, the names of the actors anymore but i had it all written down and i had had been through my little elevator pitch and it was like okay so i'm i'm your diversity hire i'm an african american guy i'm actually of mixed race so it's a bunch of different things so you have these diverse artists but i'm also a military veteran you have these one or two military veterans but you don't have those two together mm-hmm. i also grew up in england and because of my time around the world and i'm academically trained in knight thompson speech work i'm very good at all kinds of dialects and particular ones that are unique to me like almost anything from the british isles um, African dialects, which are kind of unique and things like that. So that's a third thing that we put on top of it. Four, I've trained in mocap. I'm very physical. I'm good with gun work from my time in the military. So let's put that on again. So you've got individuals that do each of these things, but you don't have a person that does it all. Mm-hmm. So well, I can cover all of that for you in one person. I'm six or seven different things that you can sell. Here you go. All right, so Zeke, I'm going to need you to leave Atlas. I'm going to start an agency just so I can hire you <laughs> based on that pitch. <laughs> you could not get me away from them. I love that team. Uh, well, were they speechless once you once you laid it down for them? Or did they try to, you know, have a poker face? Have you met Heather Dane? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Do you think that she could be speechless? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. She is definitely known for her, her bluntness and directness that her experience has given her. Yeah. I like to think the the one thing that we appreciate about each other is that we approach the business as a business and as mm-hmm. adults. Mm-hmm. Um, I think as actors, we get too wrapped up and preoccupied in the idea that we're coming to mom and dad asking for something with our agent. Right. They are our business partners. We are their clients. Our job is to make it easy for them to make money using us. If you go in with that approach, it's really easy. Mm-hmm. And uh, Heather and I and the rest of the team at Atlas's approach is we're in business it's a really fun business, but how do we make money? What are the different things you can use me for that make money and are fun for me to do? And we talk through that and we work that out. And that changes over time because uh, sometimes the industry will place you where it wants. Right. Um, I had no intention of ever being a promo guy, mm-hmm. um, but it just, uh, okay, yes. We say yes, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, you mentioned promo, which, you know, that's... That's a whole other can of worms we can open up as well, because it's like you said, people who want to get into voiceover, that is one that requires mastery all in itself. Mm-hmm. So um, how did promos become a thing for you to sort of pivot towards? So um, I did a promo workshop one time and I was like, wow, this is I like this. Um, and 
using the the mantra of one of my many, many mentors, a fellow named Kevin E. West, who's an acting mentor, said, um, you have to, you have to, when you've made the decision to be an actor, you need to, to go look at three different things, things that you're going to actively pursue, things that you won't actively pursue, but you will accept and things that you will not accept. Hmm. Um, and so there was a point where promo was something that I was not actively pursuing, but I kept coming around to it. The industry kept showing me like, maybe you should be here, dude. And, and so after a while, I was like, well, I'll accept that. And, it, I, and then I started to shove it over into, okay, this is what I'll pursue. That's when I started trading with Harry Dunn. And that's when I realized how unique and interesting the technical aspects of acting and promo are. So I had to get those under the belt. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like any other thing. Like if you want to move into anime, oh my gosh, that's so technically interesting and difficult to do. Anime and live action dubbing is, is a unique skill set. And you could be a great actor and suck at it. Right. Um, the same thing with like performance capture. Really great actors can have difficulty with performance capture because now you have to worry about this boom coming off your face and the fact that nobody's in costume, nobody's in wardrobe, there's no set. We yeah. have to pretend. I can't even look at you when I'm talking to you. We have a kissing scene, but we got to be four feet away. Like all of these things start to, you got to be able to put that uh, left brain, right brain together and, and tunnel vision under your, your creativity while still maintaining the technical aspects of the medium. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one thing I like about promo. You got to hit it to the half second. You know, you've got to hit the, the right words, the things that you're selling, the right adjectives. It's very important. Um, and it happens fast. It's pressure. It's like, okay, you've got 15 minutes. Get these spots out. Let's do it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was just going to ask, you know, what, what are the qualities that are important in being successful at promo work uh, that people might not know about? Oh, gosh. Um <laughs> I mean, you mentioned some already, just the timing and knowing what words to hit. But yeah. Timing is important. Uh, soft skills. And this goes for anything in the acting profession. Actors are known for being divas, not being on time, not being trustworthy. If you can be those things, you're ahead of 90% of the crowd. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to promo, you need to be on time. Right. Like, you know, if the promo is going on tonight and you're like, oh, well, I can't because I was getting a spot. You know, no, you'll, you'll never get hired again. They're right. like, we need you at X time. We need this back in 25 minutes or 30 minutes. You're like, yes. And then you get it done. Has um, there ever been a specific uh, promo gig that you booked where doing just that was difficult just because of the short turnaround? Maybe you weren't at your home studio or, you know, <laughs> what's the sort of craziest uh, story that you okay. can think of? Okay, here's a good one. Um, I had just signed with Atlas and we were doing pro- radio promos for uh, a rap concert. Mm. And it was an audition that came in and I was flying out to Maine to spend some time with my partner at the, uh, uh, to her parents' lake house. And uh, I get off the plane in JFK. Audition needs to be in in 20 minutes. I'm like, I'm in JFK. <laughs> oh, my God. Of course, I have my travel rig. So I'm running around trying to check this out, trying to find a quiet place in JFK <laughs> airport. I end up in a hallway off the main terminal that's like between the the outside smoking area and the inside terminal. And it's, you know, like a six foot long hallway. And I get in there and of course, you know, I've got my little rig set up and I've got my jacket over my head. And, um, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, the rough looking black guy with the beard and tattoos is hiding underneath a blanket with a shotgun microphone in an airport. I've got about 10 minutes to get this done. Um, so I knock, I knock out the promos real quick, send them, get on the plane, take the plane from New York up to Maine, land in Maine. You got the job. Oh, by the way, the promo needs to be in in an hour. Wow. You know, I land with like mm, 
about 30 minutes to the deadline, hop in the rental car, drive the rental car to the cell phone lot, get in the back of the rental car, because rental cars have really good soundproofing, pull the rig out again, put the jacket blanket over the head, and then record a couple promos. And boom, they went out and went on the radio. Oh, my gosh. Um, Wait, let me just see, make sure I understood that correctly. So, like, when you landed in JFK, was that uh, the audition, or they just wanted to check your sound quality? And then uh, once you got That to was the, the audition. That was just that the, audi- was the audition. So it was that quick of a turnaround from the audition to, okay, they booked you, now yeah. do it. Wow, yeah. same night. Yeah. <laughs> and it's funny because I remember in the initial interview when I sat down with the agents, they're like, if you're going out of town, don't fly during business hours. And I'm like, ah, ha, 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 ha. Oh, wait, oh, wait, for real, though. <laughs> okay. And because you're flying West Coast to East Coast, you can't get around it. You have to fly during business hours. I'm like, well, just, I haven't flown since I signed. What'll happen? And of course, boom. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, wow. But that's the fun. That's part of the fun of the job. Like, you're just on, <laughs> yeah. you know? Did, did your partner understand this? Because it might not be as fun for somebody that's not in voice acting to be like, oh, what are we? Do? I just want to see oh, my she, parents, you know? Yeah. No, <laughs> she she's cool with it. In fact, I was meeting her there because she was still, um, I, I'd give a shout out real quick. At, at, at the time, she was still living in Maryland. I had come out here a year early to sort of get set. Okay. She's a nurse and she was in Maryland and then volunteered to go to Brooklyn, New York. Wow. Spring of last year. Wow. Um, which. I spent 20 years in the military. I've met some real heroes in my life, but nurses and first responders and folks like that are, are really inspiring. Yeah. Um, so she has an interesting perspective on the world that I think we both share. That's like, that's just funny. Right. There's nothing upsetting about that. Mm-hmm. That's just funny. You know, that's amazing. Wow. Um, so here, here's one that, that I'll turn around into a question for you because it's a it's a thought <laughs> experiment. We also used to do it pilots at night in the middle of the airplane. What are you worth in the zombie apocalypse is the question. So back in the day, I was an engineer. I was a pilot. I was a soldier. I was all kinds of things. Then I became an actor. Well, what is an actor worth in the zombie apocalypse? In a pandemic, we're OK. I get that. Everybody uh-huh. needs Netflix. But like lawyers, actors, politicians, man, when, when the lights really go out, we ain't worth much. <laughs> and I was reminded of that during the pandemic when I saw my partner put her hand up and go to, to Kings County in Brooklyn, where they had seven floors of COVID patients. Wow. And, and shoveling bodies out in trucks. And I was like, I am floored by the, the, the heroism of some people. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, so what, 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 where are you in the zombie apocalypse, Sean? <laughs> Definitely nowhere near the nurse What's and first responders. <laughs> I'll tell you that much. Oh, man. Yeah, I mean, that's actually something that I've struggled with in the past because I started out as an engineer and, and I was thinking initially of switching, pivoting over to like environmental engineering, uh, something that I can try to do some good for the world. But but the call to acting came and um, even, you know, at, at hospitals, it, anybody can use laughter and and levity and um not that everything we do is laughter and levity but that's part of it and that can go a long way in in terms of spiritual healing that can help people to do the tough work to do physical healing uh, you know in those situations i uh i agree i agree wholeheartedly my my intent is not to minimize the the profession of the performer because to me i mean it, that's one of the reasons i'm here is the philosophical uh, mindset change I had where I was like, I need to leave the military mm-hmm. because of what it stands for philosophically. And I need to go do something better with my life. So I, I don't mean to minimize that at all. Art is what not, separates yeah. us from the animals. It's what 
it's what is uniquely human about us. And it is as essential as everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, I just try to maintain a perspective about it. Yeah, know? absolutely. You don't want, <laughs> uh, I would hate to, if I, if you ever like 10 years from now, I become the actor that says, you know, art is the most important thing. Slap me in the face right then and there. <laughs> <laughs> you have my permission. <laughs> I mean, like it is important because it heals the soul, but it, it, um, we live in a culture where it has become more important than the farmer that, that makes our food. Right. And that's, that's where it comes tough. And I think that's just where we all need to have a level of perspective. And, you know, that, not just sitting here trying to sound wise. I live with a person that gives me daily perspective. Right. You know, I'm thankful for that um, because I see what she does on a daily basis. And I see what a lot of people do. And I'm like, yeah, things are pretty good. I should be grateful. Let me make art that helps heal people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Again, hats off to them because it's, I'm sure your partner would say the same, but, you know, my cousin, for example, who's a nurse, would tell me that it's not a joke. She has seen firsthand how many people have died from it, how many hospital beds have been overflowing, and it's an everyday thing. Like, it's, again, hats off to them because it's seeing that day in and day out can obviously take a toll. It's just unbelievable. But Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's also very difficult uh, to <laughs> segue from. But um, that's the same. And now pre- games and cartoons. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you'd mentioned uh, when you joined Atlas, like your goal was, well, when you moved to L.A., your goal was AAA games and animation. And then you, you found your way into promos as well. But, like, how many of your opportunities would you say are for triple a games and animation and that sort of thing versus promos versus commercials i keep a spreadsheet oh that's awesome i i i I keep records of things so i could give you the specific number and percentages i I guess i could pull it out of the spreadsheet uh off the top of my head i i think this year i've had like 600 maybe 580 auditions um okay and then I, i will categorize them out by genre um, and, and so I'm, I'm tracking everything. Cause you know how it is. You audition for something and then a year and a half later, like, oh, you booked so-and-so. And I'm like, what is that? Yeah. And right. if I don't have a database, I can go back in and look, I'm rolling in completely cold. Mm-hmm. Um, which I, I, you know, we do that because that's the nature of the job, but it's, you know, it's smarter to have an idea of what you've done in the past and, and sort of have an idea of where the industry is as a whole. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, I think opportunities for video games and animation and and promo are pretty steady for me i think i work more in video games because again if i was to have a standard type it fits into the soldier type right Uh, and so right now that's where percentage wise the majority of my work is which is interesting because uh there are some that are some things that i get to do that are completely opposite that which is so much fun (laughs) you know do you appreciate those, like, there's fun to be had in, in all kinds of auditions, but do you get more excited when, when you get to do something totally, you know, off-cuff compared to, again, the type that people associate you for as sort of the soldier type? Or do you love doing the soldiers as well? I love doing the soldiers as well. You know, <laughs> I don't think I need to say this, but not all soldiers in video games and cartoons and media in general are very accurate towards what it's like. Right. Um, sometimes you can't be 100% authentic 
because people don't know what that is. You know, it goes for any sort of experience, right? If you're a doctor, do you really watch doctor shows? Right. You know, <laughs> yeah. um, never, never watch the media of what you do because you're like, that's all wrong, man. Um, but at the same time, part of the collaborative nature of what we do is, okay, I have some experience. What can I bring in terms of realism that still the priority serves the story? Because it's great to do everything completely accurate, but if it doesn't serve the story, it's a waste of time. Right. Um, so I enjoy the soldier roles in that, in that I get to bring some authenticity to it while still collaborating and serving the story. And then the other things are even more joyful because it's just reach into your imagination and play. Use yeah. something from your experience. Use something from your imagination. Cobble it up into a ball and blah, there we go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, I mean, how can you not have fun doing that? That's basically the, it, it's like opening up a time capsule from childhood and getting away with it. You know, it's, I, I love the combination of that sort of childlike play, but combining that with sort of the analytics and training and detective work that you have to do at the same time in terms of like breaking down a copy and everything. Yeah. Yeah. But so, you know, you, you touched on it just now, but I was going to ask you, what are some of the things that you think people get wrong when they're performing as military characters in voiceover and on camera? Uh, oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> How much time do we have? <laughs> it's, it's not that because I'm one of those people that doesn't care if they're wrong. Um, Unless it's like glaring and ridiculous. Like there, there are oftentimes you see something on TV and you're like, that guy's got the wrong hat. Who cares? Right? Mm -hmm. I mean, who, who really cares? But <laughs> there is a soldier archetype that we have in our media. And because the information instrument of the United States is so broad, we are sharing that with the rest of the world. And it shows our soldiers is one type of thing. You know, we particularly lately in time, we are in the time of American Sniper and the Hurt Locker and... We lionize our military as something aside. Um, I don't know if you could get away with a Sergeant Bilko right now, hmm. but let's be honest, as a guy inside the military, a lot of what we do is funny and useless and stupid and ridiculous, and we like to make fun of it. Right. And we have a weird sense of gallows humor, and we'll joke about things that in polite company would be seen as disgusting. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. um, just because you, you tend to... You tend to get used to a different thing. Anything that you do routinely becomes normal. And uh, that, can, that can be a good thing, but it can be a bad thing. You know, uh, you spend a lot of time in combat zones. You don't ever want that to become normal. But uh, I have had friends who have had difficulty coming home and readjusting to what it is to be an American person as opposed to just being a soldier. Mm -hmm. And also having to deal with the perception of the average American person of what a soldier is. Hmm. But all that being said, it is fun to do the soldier roles because I can, I know I'm bringing some authenticity to it and I'm collaborating. So if the director of writers like, that just doesn't seem to work, then we can find a middle ground of what's real and what, what fits the game. Right. You know? Yeah. I can remember, you know, being deployed and joking about things that when I look back and I'm like that, yeah, that people probably wouldn't have thought that was funny, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But, you know, it's in the context, you know, it's it's a high stakes sort of high stress environment. So anything to bring levity to the situation, I'm sure, was welcome. Yeah, it can be. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and sometimes, like you said, it could just be a monotonous sort of it's not all excitement 24-7. Um, but, you know, what about like 
let's say like call outs or the common things that that you'll get in voiceover copy for military characters like are there things that you hear uh just like in terms of call outs and stuff that you're like you know what this is this is not how it really would have been in that situation uh yes and no but i i i will give a massive shout out to the writers over at call of duty um Craig and Dan the two gentlemen that I had the honor of working with those one thing i love about being an actor is you're going to learn the rest of your life <laughs> right i would say you're making a mistake if you're an actor and you're going to go play a cop and you don't go spend some time with cops right or you're going to play a doctor and you don't do some some medical research you know mm-hmm. uh when i talk to the writers of the game and the director of the game amazing director Amanda Wyatt they have spent time talking with people and learning and i'll give you a specific instance and i I can talk about this now because it's out from nda um we walked in for a session for warzone for the operator and uh the character said uh a line uh something like hey i'm winchester right to the average person i was like what does that mean right Mm -hmm. right but i walked in i was like oh my god you wrote winchester in the the thing you you know what that means, right? So, yeah, yeah, I know. It's like, ah, in the military, Winchester is a code word that says I'm out of bullets. Huh. So if you're in a, in a, in, you know, if you're doing something and you, you call out over the radio or out loud, hey, I'm Winchester, that means I'm out of bullets. Bring me some more stuff. Mm-hmm. The fact that they dive so far in and talk to so many people to learn how that language, you know, is, is used, was just, it blew my mind. I was like, I'm so impressed let's do this. And as we went through all of the, the lines in the video game, there was a lot of things in there that I could just look at and go, oh man, they've done so much research. Hmm. This is awesome. Yeah. Um, and then we talk about it because, you know, I have a certain set of skills been flying all kinds of airplanes for the better part of 15 years. So, you know, well, what would you say right here? Well, I'd say this. Okay, well, let's use that. You know? <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. It's um, well, I, I got to step in. Just I'm gonna fanboy a little bit. I feel like we might have even talked about this when we bumped into each other at Johnny Gidcombe's class. But what are some of the perhaps better known planes and jets that you have flown? Because, like, I think I might have mentioned my grandpa flew a, an F four Phantom, an F five, uh, F fourteen Tomcat. Which oh, I'm jealous. <laughs> yeah, I. Oh my god. I. So I'm curious. Yeah, what have you flown? I'm sure dozens at least of different aircraft. My primary airplanes that I flew for most of my career was something called a P-3, which is a big four propeller airplane that hunts submarines, and a P-8, which is essentially uh, the Navy bought a Southwest 737 jet and modified it to drop bombs and shoot missiles and track submarines and do stuff like that. Wow. Um, so those were the mains. But as, then as a test pilot, you fly a bunch of other things. So I have flown the F-18. I've flown the F-16. Oh, my um, gosh. The... Uh, the T-38, we call, lovingly called a lawn dart, because uh, that's what it looks like. It's a really thin, skinny jet. Um, the NASA uh, astronauts fly them because they fly so terribly. They fly just like the space shuttle used to. They're <laughs> really just a, a hurtling rock of junk. Um, I've flown helicopters, uh, augmented and unaugmented helicopters. There was a time where me and, and a friend of mine, one other guy, were the only two Navy pilots who uh, had flown a blimp. Huh. Wow. Um, yeah, those, flown, those are supposed to be pretty difficult to fly, aren't they? It's it's more akin to uh, driving a submarine than it is to flying an airplane. Interesting. Um, gliders, done some aerobatic work in gliders, done some old uh, tail dragger airplanes, lots lots of stuff. Um, I never got to fly the th- the big three for me, so I had a big three. Well, can I guess one of them? F twenty two? Would that be no, one? Of them? No. No. Okay, and not the twenty three either. No. 
No, the new ones are nice, and I've been in them. They're nice. <laughs> but the SR-71 Blackbird. Oh, my God. That was that, a yeah. spaceship, man. Oh. But they were all they were all gone by the time I even got uh, got my commission in the Navy. So um, I've seen them on sticks, but I, I've never got to fly one. Yeah, that and that um, one can fly at an altitude much higher than pretty much any plane, right? Like higher, faster, man. It, it is literally a spaceship. It reminds me of Mass Effect. That that's <laughs> ah. Yeah. Um, the other ones would be the A10 Warthog, which is okay. essentially a flying tank. Uh, with a uh, 50 millimeter Vulcan cannon on the front of it. <laughs> it has its own sound. Um, <laughs> that's an Air Force plane, so I never flew that one. And then the last one I, I always wanted to fly. I did get to fly the MiG-15, but mm. I didn't get to fly the P-51 Mustang. Okay. Uh, which is the Tuskegee Airman airplane. The little red tails. One day I will get in one of those. Um, but the other two, I think, are, are out of the picture now. What's the pro- how do you even get in on one of those? Like, <laughs> well, as a as a as a test pilot, we would have the opportunity to do something called a, a qualitative evaluation, which means I want to go check out this airplane and see how it flies, measure the you know the forces on it, and do stuff like that, and then you you know get an agreement with whoever owned the airplane and, and go out and fly with them. Um, hmm. Done a lot of interesting what we call QEs, fun QEs, and in, in airplanes, just trying new stuff. Okay, uh, but you're saying one day you would fly that one specifically. Like, are you still allowed to do that uh, at this point, even though you're retired? Like, um, I'm retired. I still have my pilot license. Um, I'm licensed to fly almost any type of airplane. But unlike cars, when you have an airplane license, you have to get uh, licensed also for the type. Mm. So whereas I can go fly a 737 right now, I can't fly a, a triple seven because they don't have that type rating. Huh. Interesting. But as a, as a test pilot, if I'm with an instructor pilot, I can pretty much fly anything. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> this, is, this can very easily turn into just, you know, a pilot podcast. Nerd but... airplane talks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I will say this. Ace Combat is pretty doggone good. <laughs> <laughs> good to know. Good to know. So, so um, shout out to the Ace Combat folks. You made a good flying simulator. <laughs> awesome. Um, as much as I would love to continue talking pilot uh, and just anything plane related, this is a good time to completely flip the switch and uh, talk about World of Warcraft. Because you mentioned, oh. um, you know, training with Andrea Toyas. While it has to do with battle and that sort of thing, it's very different from like military combat, American accent stuff. So what was your work with uh, World of Warcraft like? Um, so I've spent some time doing a couple things for Blizzard, done uh, a smattering of characters for both Hearthstone and World of Warcraft and some okay. other stuff, blah, 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 NDA. Um, <laughs> and was that all, sorry to interrupt, but like yeah. just through, you know, the traditional auditioning process or was it? Through coaching with Andrea Toya so long, she's like, hey, I know you're good for this. Yes and no. So I had, I had been uh, coaching with Andrea for a while, and uh, this goes back to the SAG conversation. So I was SAG eligible for a long time, and I was doing background work on whatever was in the Mid-Atlantic area at the time. So I got my voucher, so I became a must-join. And I got the opportunity to do some voices on Hearthstone, which was a union game. And I had to make a decision then. I'm like, well, I'm, I'm still in Maryland. I don't have an agent. Do I want to join SAG now? Am I ready to compete with the big kids? And so I told myself, yes. I had at that point spent many years through the plan building myself up into a reasonably good professional actor. I don't ever consider myself a finished product. I don't think any actor does, but I was at the point where I felt I could compete. So that's when I joined SAG was in order to work on Hearthstone. Hmm. Um, okay. And so 
Uh, Hearthstone was, I think, more by referral. Got it. Um, I have auditioned since then for many Blizzard projects and get picked up for one or two. You know, the the, the good old ratio of try to get one out of 100. Right. It would be nice to get one out of 100, wouldn't it? <laughs> uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I really enjoy that style of game, um, the amount of effort that goes into making those characters, and the sessions are just so much fun. <laughs> I bet. Was it all sort of mid-Atlantic accents that you had to do uh, for the Warcraft characters or all Blizzard no. characters? Um, some American, some British, some, some of the mid-Atlantic, a lot of monsters, um, okay. West African trolls. Wow. Um, uh, uh, what was the one? I cannot remember his name. He was a zombie bookseller. And... Uh, <laughs> I heard the outtakes once, but there were idle lines. It's just a funny story. There were idle lines for a character, and he was a, a bookseller, but he was also a zombie. And when he would get bored, he would start reading trash romance to you if you weren't if you were idling him in the game. Mm-hmm. So there's some wonderful <laughs> audio footage out there of me as a zombie reading like horrible trash romance novel stuff. Uh, <laughs> I think it was probably a little too racy to be in the game, but uh, but it, it, somebody's got out there's got it. <laughs> yeah, I gotta find that. I would love to hear that. <laughs> Outside of obviously like getting auditions from your agents and stuff, what are some of the marketing or like business tactics that you'll take on networking that you do on your own time to try to sort of procure your own work? Because my goal is very specific, and I'm I don't feel comfortable with disingenuous networking just for the the sake of it. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons I'm in this industry is because I found my people. When I meet somebody new at a workshop or if I'm working with them, we know by the time we're done whether or not we get along in, in a couple of ways. One, in a friendly way. Two, in a business way. You know, is this a good working business relationship? And this is a long game. Um, what do they say? It takes 10 years to make an overnight success. So every interaction that I have with a person is important to me uh, because I'm trying to judge, is this the kind of person I want in my acting network? And am I the kind of person they want in their acting network? And if the answer is yes, then those are people that I like to stay in touch with. Mm -hmm. Um, It could be like the best director in the world, but if someone's a jerk that I don't enjoy spending time around with, I'm not going to try and court them as a network opportunity. Mm -hmm. I, like everyone else, came, well, almost everyone else, came to L.A., uh, was lucky enough to put myself in a position to have an agent, and then started auditioning a lot and not booking anything. Mm-hmm. And we all fall into that hole the actor has, this like, oh, they're going to drop me, they hate me, I'm never going to work, blah, blah, blah. But what you're really doing, and you have to remind yourself, is I'm now laying the groundwork. Every audition that I send out is another person on the other end listening to it. And if everyone is good, after a while, they're going to remember me. Right. I don't, you know, you're not, unless you, you won the lottery, you're not going to break out and be a star when you first start. This is a blue collar job in, in many respects in that you have to enjoy the journey and you have to allow everyone else to get used to who you are and what you are and what you can bring to their table. Mm-hmm. Um, I have found in my experience that the successes that I have had have come from being patient and auditioning. And then finally getting a little bitty job and getting in the room. And when I'm in the room, I spent all those years getting good. Now I can just be good. Yeah. And I don't think I'm a jerk, so don't be a jerk. Right. And those two things put together will make people remember you for the next time they need somebody who's good and who's not a jerk. Yeah. Um, 
I auditioned for Call of Duty. I don't know the number. I had it. I, I could look it up. Somewhere between 17 and 22 times. And then I got called in to do a pilot. Surprise, surprise. Right? <laughs> and started working with them. And after a while, like, oh, you can do this. Well, how about this? How about this? And now I've got, I think, at last count, 11 characters in the last Call of Duty game. Wow. Just by getting my foot in the door and then just being the best person and performer, person first and performer that I can be and sharing time with people who enjoy doing the same thing. And sometimes they're like, we really like you. And then they talk about you when you're not in the room to their friends who then, when they see your audition, like, ah, you know, and that sort of builds your network and your influence within the industry. Sometimes they don't like you and you just never hear from them again. And that's okay because you still got that job and you still had fun. Mm -hmm. But a lot of it is, is being able to give up the idea that you're in control of this and just accept what it'll give you and do the, do the best in what you can control. I can do the bombest audition, but there's a million reasons why they wouldn't pick it. Right. When they, when they do, I'm going to go in and do the bombest session. There's a million reasons why they might not like me. I hate dudes with afros. Never call him back, you know? Mm. Or, you know, that guy was just a jerk. We don't like him. We don't vibe. But because this community as a whole, and not just the actors, but the sound engineers and the directors and the producers and the creative teams that I've met so far are building things that they really love. No one forced anybody to work in video games or cartoons. Right. You know, like you're doing this because you love it. So you want to do it with other people who love it and appreciate what you do. That's why I'm a big fan of knowing what other people do as well. Like understand what, what your director's responsibilities are, the amount of work that they put in, understand what the creative team's doing, what the differences between the, the, you know, if you have a writer versus a dialogue editor versus a producer, like, why are they in the session? Why do they care? What's their two cents? Their, mm. their <laughs> opinion is valid, you know, be part of the team. So I, I find, again, being a meticulous person that I like to know everything that's going on. It better informs me as a performer. It doesn't work for everybody, mm-hmm. but you know, I want to know what lens the cameraman's using. So I already know where my frame is, that kind of stuff. It, it, it's fun to dive in. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like you said, nobody's forced into this. So it's, you know, how can you not have fun when everybody's so excited to, to get something made uh, wh- and that everybody's wearing different hats, like you said, yeah. uh, dialogue editors, writers, directors, producers, you know. It's, it's, I won't lie. It's really hard to get over the fear of what if they don't like me? What if it's my only shot? Hmm. You know. What if I do something that I don't even know is wrong and I get fired and it never called again? We all, we all as performers live with that level of anxiety. That's what having a life outside of performing and having interests outside and having experience outside levels the playing field for you, I think. Hmm. It allows you to not have your entire soul so invested that everything that doesn't work out is crushing. Right. Because we're, we're in an industry of no's. Right. You got to live with those no's every day, multiple times a day until somebody says, eh, maybe. <laughs> yeah. And then you just got to you got to go in not wanting it so much, but just there to enjoy it and go, OK, yeah, now it's time. Let's play. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. Any other situation, you know, whether it's pursuing a, a love interest, that's that's not the answer you want to hear at the end. But <laughs> <laughs> it's everything in acting. Yeah. Get used to rejection. <laughs> Which is a good segue because I've done some table reads with the union's SAG after WGA program. Hmm. Very nice. Um, you know, as a performer, you always want to bring everything in your life into the performance. Part of my performance life now is taking part in SAG after. Hmm. I can bring experience to that because, an acqui- as an acquisition officer for the military, 
I worked on massive projects with massive budgets, and I had to deal with the union on the other side, on what we would consider the production side. Right. I was in the Navy buying things for the Navy, and our maintenance contractors and our aviation contractors and avionics folks were all contracted, but they had their own unions that I had to deal with. So I'm familiar with the incentives of the producer in that we are here to make money and minimize costs. And actors are a cost. So if you're in production, your job, what you get paid for, is to minimize how much those people cost so that the profit is increased. Right. So when I came out here, um, I immediately got involved with SAG after I started volunteering. Uh, I'm working on five, six volunteer committees over at the union, from the military committee to the conservatory committee, because I have a background working at a university. Um, to the reinstatement committee, the uh, equal opportunity committee, and a couple others. And um, they're all volunteer positions, but they're a way to sort of pay it forward, give back, help the concept of organized labor. Because we as actors, the only leverage we have when we're working with production is the ability to be able to take away our performance. Mm -hmm. If we don't have that, then this becomes a race to the bottom and acting essentially becomes a, a hobby. So uh, if they can throw it out there, if I'm a producer and I can throw it out there and go, uh, whoever gives me the lowest bid that I can accept that level of performance, that's the person that's going to get hired. That's going to be a problem because then what we get paid goes down. The union is there not for the celebrities. The union is there to protect. This is the minimum amount that they can pay you. Mm-hmm. This is the, the minimum care they need to take care of you. You can only scream your head off for two hours, not six, because that right. will ruin you. You know, those things are really important to me. And having worked against that, I feel part of my job being out here is to stand the line of the union and work for the performer. And because I have a background in military contracts and and large organizations and system design, I can bring that. Yeah, and I do bring that. You're um, very to uni- the union. uniquely qualified for this. And what was it that you're you're trying to take on an active because I know you've done a lot of volunteer work for them. But yeah, so our, our union, it's a it's a nationwide union. It's broken up into l- different regions. L.A. has its own region. It's the largest one. It's like 80,000 SAG-AFTRA members in L.A. out of the total 160,000 everywhere. And so every two years, they have elections for the local board. Now, these are volunteer positions. Uh, they're not paid, but you are the people that get to talk about Uh, what our priorities are when it comes to contract negotiations, what we should be doing for the working actor in order to make sure that they are um, not taken advantage of, that they're safe and paid a reasonable living wage. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm going to run this year for a convention delegate, which are the people that vote at the convention, and for the LA local board, which is the 43 or 44 member body that governs what SAG-AFTRA does here in the LA local. I think I have some things to offer there with my expertise in the military and running a university. I can help with the conservatory and dealing with contracts. I can help uh, the negotiating committees. And interestingly enough, as a voice actor and an on-camera actor, but mainly as a voice actor, you work across almost all of the contracts that we have. Right. You know, if you're just an on-camera theatrical person, you just do movies, you're working in a contract. But if you do anime, and dubbing and things for Netflix and TV and animation and animated films and looping and mocap and video games. All of those things have their own co- and promos. Right. Promos is under the network code. And then outside the network code, there's a e- uh, promulgated contract to each individual network. So understanding 
the the breadth of all the things that SAG after is supposed to be taking care of for an actor is important to me because I work in that space. So why not bring my expertise? Right. Yeah. And it's it's very as much as I love the union, voice acting is pretty underrepresented in there. So um massively I mean, who, so. Yeah. So who for for the late if there's any SAG after members that are lazy, what is the simplest way for them <laughs> to be able to vote for you? Because I can't think of a better candidate. Uh just make sure your dues are paid and then this summer they're gonna put out uh, an electronic hey vote for SAG after. And when you vote for the LA local board, you'll see my smiling face there and click, yeah, maybe that guy. And here's why. Here's why you should. There are not enough voice actors speaking on our behalf. You know, they just seated a dubbing committee for the first time. The voiceover committee is starting to get some things going, but there's not a whole lot of people in the LA local board who understand voiceover as it is now. Mm -hmm. as we do it now. So we need to have some people in that room with the expertise to go, no, our priority is this, not that. And here's why. This is what we need to look out for, for our five core actors coming back, for our pre-members trying to get SAG. You know, do we need to be paying $3,200 in one big splat in order to join? Should that be different for a dubber than it is for a person who does feature films? All those things are things that we need to discuss prioritize, and then approach our counterpoints across the table collectively in an organized manner. And art is made by people in the room. So is policy. And so this is the policy that dictates what all of our art is going to be. I want to be in that room commanding what that policy is going to be on our behalf. And because I have a wide network now in the voiceover community, I want people to tell me what we need. You know, I joined CODA. I'm not a massive dubber, but I joined CODA because those people have needs and we need to represent them. Right. Man, that is, I mean, again, I can't think of anybody more suited to to be able to take on that role. So so I hope if there's any listeners that are listening to this episode before (laughs) summer of 2021 is over, please don't forget to vote for Zeke on this. Um, And even if you don't vote for me, just vote. I mean, we learned that in the last U.S. election. It's just important that you, you make your voice heard. You know, I agree with that, but I am happy to abuse my power here and say <laughs> <laughs> you have to vote for Zeke. Yes, yes. <laughs> I don't care for your freedom of choice. Vote for Zeke, damn it. You must. Uh, <laughs> or, or reach out to me and I'll tell you how to run if you've got great ideas. There you go. You know, um, there are lots of places. I'm, I'm wide open to anybody that wants to learn more about the union because I find that particularly with voice actors, the union is a big they with a capital T that we don't know a whole lot about. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I can confidently say I do know about the union and I'm willing to share that information with anybody who's interested. No political affiliations, just what's best for me and you, the working actor. You know, one day we'll both be massive stars and what the union's doing won't matter because we'll just negotiate way above scale. But until that day, well, even that day, it's important for us to look out for people who are the day to day. That wraps up my chat with Zeke Alton. I think it was important to dive deep into today's SAG After challenges. And if you're a member, I hope you'll consider voting for Zeke because he has so many insightful things to say. Like tip number one, treat your agent as your business partner. Actors often treat their agents like they're coming to mom and dad asking for something. But our job as actors is to make it easy for our agents to make money using us. Two, in the words of one of Zeke's acting mentors, Kevin E. West, all actors need to define three different things. 
things that you will actively pursue, things that you won't actively pursue but will accept, and things you will not accept. And three, have a life outside of performing. It's common for actors to have anxiety and self-doubt and second-guess every little decision, but having a life and hobbies and other interests to look forward to will help you get out of that unhealthy mind space. And ironically, it will make you more confident and at ease during your auditions. And on that note, may all you voice actors keep acting up. <laughs>